Blog Talk Radio. Radio. There we go. This is All About About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program Ron. is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. I Post your that. questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. And now, all about wine is Here's Okay. All right, people. Thank you, thank you. There we no, go. Right. They were happy. The storm's sure done. Is. Yes. Anything to get out of the storm. It's, yeah, it's always... it. And the old port and storm. Yes. Well, we, we had a storm go through today here in Florida. It worked its way from all that nasty, nasty weather you guys are having up north this week. And it spun a little tail of that storm through us. And we got some thunder and lightning and Heavy rains and tornado warnings, <coughs> and uh, just overall, just a uh, just a nasty front that went through, cooled off behind it, and only supposed to get up to 68 tomorrow. Burr. Hmm. Uh, wow. And for the high. And for the high, 68 tomorrow. And wow. then another front is supposed to come through tomorrow evening, and the high Saturday is only supposed to be 65. And that... What are we in the mountains all of a sudden? What's going on? Yeah, I know. Oh, this, a... this is not good. This is We didn't move to Florida for this frigid air. So. Right. So... Um, but, uh, well, we can We can go... Bundle up, get the parkas out and the long johns, and we'll we'll make it through the couple. Of they say it's supposed to be cool for like you know the next five or six days, you know, and then we're supposed to warm up a little bit again. But I yeah. don't know who knows. They, it's a guess. Yeah. It looks like uh, speaking of guess, speaking of guess, it looks like we have uh, somebody on the line holding oh. uh, from Missouri. I think if I memorized all the area codes in the United uh, States correctly. 816. Right? No, 813 is Missouri. 816. 813 is Tampa. You're in uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. 816 is Missouri. Well, I should know that because well, I think I think that must be our guest, Doug, because I think Doug is originally from Kansas City, Missouri, which is where I'm from, and 816 is my area code. So why don't we bring him on and talk to him? Perfect. Uh, hello, Doug. Welcome to All About Wine. Well, hello. How are you? I'm doing really well, and glad you're able to join us tonight. Well, my pleasure. You you are where in Kansas City right now? Well, actually, no. I'm in Seattle today. I'm uh, doing a, a dinner with uh, Echoland's Wine, uh, the winery oh. that I uh, that I co-own and run. Oh. And uh, so I'm doing a dinner at a restaurant in Seattle this evening. Oh, I see. Well, I looked at your 816. I, I understand you're originally from Kansas City. 
Well, originally from Portland, Oregon, but I've lived in uh, in Kansas and Missouri really most of my life. So, oh. um, yeah, I reside in Kansas City these days. I see, because I was born and raised in North Kansas City, and that's why I was uh, kept going back to it, wondering. So, what part of Kansas City were you in, or are you? So, in? I'm in. I, I yeah, I live in Prairie Village. So, um, oh, okay. The uh, per- perfect village, as uh, everyone likes to ridicule us. So. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It always has been, you know, even when I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Prairie Village. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has to be said with a sneer. So. Yeah, this is, that, exactly. That's the only way you say Prairie Village. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, well, we got that established. <laughs> so, you you were going to be a guest on, you got hung up on a dinner party, and we missed you, but I'm glad you're able to come back tonight. You are quite a busy person. Well, you know, I am I'm never bored, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that is for sure. You have yourself all sorts of accolades, you have yourself uh a something that very few people have. In fact, only four people in the United States or world, is it? That It's actually world. yeah, in in the world, yeah. In, in the world, only four people in the world hold simultaneously master sommelier and master of wine titles, and you are one of those four. That is really quite impressive, if I may say so. Well, you know, living in Kansas City, we just have a lot of time to drink and, and read, so yeah, it still works out. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a good point. Uh, uh, so, uh, tell me, I, you know, I'm really curious of your journey from, you know, from Portland to to Kansas City most of your life to holding double titles that only four people in the world hold. What uh, what took you on this path, and what uh, got you to do this? Well, I um, I started in the restaurant business when I was 14 years old, washing dishes, and uh, pretty quickly figured out there was better money to be made out on the floor. So mm-hmm. um, I ended up, uh, you know, being a waiter, being a sommelier, being a uh, manager, beverage director, etc. Various iterations of of that life, um, and then ended up uh, starting to work as a wholesaler, and then um, even you know importing and that sort of thing. And in the midst of all that, discovered that these exams existed and thought, hey, you know, I want to do that. And, and so I, I kind of jumped into the Master of Wine exam first and then discovered the Master Sommelier exam in the midst of all that and thought, you know, that sounds great, too. And, and, and you know, I don't want to uh, ridicule or, you know, a seem flip about it all, because as soon as I – uh, actually sat in one of these classes, I realized, oh, these are my people. This is my tribe. I want to hang out with these people. I don't give a shit if I, you know, pardon my French, I don't give a shit if I pass or not. I just want to hang out with these people. <laughs> like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it, how similar is the Master of Sommelier class as opposed to the Master of Wine? Well, um, I, I usually like to, to say that... Uh, Master Sommelier is an exam that uh, tests your ability to, to, to be fast on your feet, to serve uh, maybe a table full of surly Master Sommeliers, to, to be you know, sort of the ultimate wine host. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of the best way to think about it, though there's lots of minutia and blind tasting involved. Whereas the Master of Wine is more about can you sit down and we hand you a subject and you can write a ready to, to as it were, ready to publish 
essay on each of these questions in two hours go. Uh, but it also wow. includes lots of wine tasting. So, so they're, you know, they're the, kind of the same set of information, but two different ways of interacting with that information. Wow. Um, we, we have had people on the show who have tested into the uh, Master of Wine. They said it is a very hard test. Very few people pass it the first time because it is such a hard test. And uh, to hold both the titles, I am really quite impressed of, of your abilities to do that. That is great. Uh, we wanted to get you on the show for a, a reason that you were judging a uh, well, let me see. Let me find it here. You were judging a, a pinnacle of wine. Is yes, a pinnacle wine pinnacle awards. The, yeah, the wine uh, pinnacle awards. Exactly. Um, and and we've been doing that for a few years, and that's a really fun event. And and I think that's kind of how the connection was first made between us. Yes, it was. Uh, explain to uh, people out there what the uh, pinnacle of wine awards. Are and uh, uh, our wine pinnacle. I said that backward. Wine pinnacle awards are, and uh, what it involves in all that. Sure. So um, this is a program, or I should say, a, a competition amongst wines, um, at, and, and I suppose amongst wineries as well. But it is in, indeed a, a competition that sort of uh, defines itself differently and goes about its business differently. Um, having been involved in many wine competitions and run some as well and continue to do so um, for for a few decades, most of the wine competitions work in in the fashion that you send out invitations or you alert people to the competition. They pay a fee to enter their wines. The wines are tasted blind, and then people issue awards. Um, For the Wine Pinnacle Awards, our intention was – to, to no longer say you've got to pay a fee to be in, uh, to no longer say you've got to fill out this paperwork and register to be in. What we're going to do instead is we're going to pick about uh, 100 of the most knowledgeable people we know, a lot of MSs and MWs amongst others, and say to them, okay, you taste a lot of wine. Uh, throughout the past year, what's the very best, let's say, uh, South American wine that you've had? What's the very best... Syrah that you've had. What's the very best reason that you've had? And so we let all those people nominate wines. And once we sort of settle on uh, which wines received a a certain amount of nominations, then uh, again, anonymously, we we let people then that same group of people vote on which wine is actually going to receive the award. So, um, you know, nobody pays a fee to be in it. Um, It's not limited to just those wines that get sent in because probably not surprisingly in most competitions, Wines that have already proven themselves to be really great are very unmotivated to uh, enter their <laughs> wines into somebody's competition. You know, yes. they already proved that. It's only downhill from here. You know, so so it, it was um, it was conceived by a, a master wine named Jeannie Cho Lee, um, and and so you know one of uh, the sort of the, the ideals of her conception was, and it's going to be international in scope. So often. Instead, we, um, as people who organize competitions, tend to be sort of regionally focused, if not uh, uh, just nationally focused. So this is, you know, we pick international judges and, and do our best to make sure those judges 
um, are, are diverse and dispersed, if you will, around the globe. So people mm-hmm. in Northern Europe, Southern Europe, South Africa, uh, South America, North America, Asia, et cetera, um, all uh, are, are amongst the judges that are, are uh, you know, being given an opportunity to nominate and to weigh in on the final judgment. Oh, that's great. I mean, why have they not had more competitions like this? It just seems like this is really a good way to find out some of the, well, pinnacles of the wine world without having to worry about all the, well, entry fees and everything else. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I quite agree. And that was that was certainly the goal and the, and the hope. Yeah, you know, I, and, and I, I'm not. I, if you look at my listeners in past episodes, I'm not a big one on wine competitions because a lot of them, if you pay your money, you're guaranteed a medal. Uh, you know, first, second, or third place. If you pay your money, you're you're going to walk away and say, "Oh, look, I've got medals." And uh, the public doesn't realize how insignificant that is, but. Uh, in the wine world, we say, okay, well, we paid our entry fee and we get ourselves a medal, and it just sort of washes it down. Something like the um, Pinnacle Awards, it's really on the merit of the wine itself. You have no, absolutely nothing to uh, do except the motivation of making a good wine. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I would agree. I think um, you know the idea certainly is that um, that the um, you know, these judges are, I wouldn't say impartial, because at the end of the day, that's one of the things I like about wine is that we all have favorites and we all mm. have wines we're in love with. And, you know, I, I think that emotional connection is what's supposed to make wine cool and wonderful and fulfilling and all that stuff. So I like that instead of, you know, sort of trying to, to back away from it or pretend that, that there aren't um, prejudices, instead it's that you get enough people together then instead you get, you know, what you hope is a diverse set of uh, prejudices about uh, <laughs> wines and what makes, you know, the best Bordeaux or the best Burgundy or the best Champagne or, you know, the, the best North American Cab or what have you. What did, how many, and you mentioned, you know, a set of wines there. What is the breakdown? Do they have it uh, apples to apples or do they separate it by countries or uh, how is that done? It, it changes every year. So oh. um, there, there's certainly, you know, we, we look to um, try to find the strength of any uh, particular uh, region or country, if you will. Um, so there is um, a category, you know, there's no dedicated cab, a category for, let's say, California Chardonnay. There is a dedicated ca- a category for white Burgundy, um, which is, of course, Chardonnay-based. And then there's right. a, a category just called um, best other Chardonnay. So that best other Chardonnay could be from New Zealand, it could be from Australia, it could be from Italy, it could be from North America, you know, etc. So um, and and each year, particularly when it comes to categories like Champagne or Bordeaux or Burgundy, we actually will say, okay, from X vintage. And and um, in so doing, uh-huh. what we're also trying to to do is to say, so. With this group of people who've been consuming all these wines and and one hopes really know a lot of these really um, you know wonderful wines, instead of saying hey what's the best champagne you had last year, it's like hey hang on a minute 2012 is one of the greatest vintages champagne has produced. 
let's mm-hmm. say, you know, now with, their t- with them being 10 years old, what really now, 10 years on, can we say, that was the best damn champagne in the vintage? And, <laughs> and so, um, you know, that, that, I think, you know, we felt like, again, that that's a, that's a, a strength that we can bring to um, the, this particular style of competition because the wine doesn't actually have to be sitting in front of a group of people on a given day at a given time. Um, we can go ahead and, and have a little more fun with them. Like I said, actually for some um, uh, for some areas, go ahead and call out a vintage and say, yeah, you know, let's talk about uh, this particular vintage. And, and with the benefit of hindsight now, say, you know, what really is the most exciting uh, amongst those wines of that really famed vintage? Oh, that's fantastic. That would be a great way to do it because, you know, you, you, if you're judging the – well, Burgundy's now, uh, compared to some of the great vintages over the last 15 years or so, uh, you, you know, are you going to compare to when they were first released? Are you going to compare to how they've aged and all that? And there's so many different factors in there. So, yeah, be- it's really true. Um, so, so it's 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 a fun exercise. In some ways, it's a you know like a really elaborate thought experiment. Yeah, I like that. That's 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 fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, indeed. Not to put you on the spot, but uh, mm-hmm. what are some of your favorite wines? Well, I um, always well. I'll put it this way: I'm um, I was certainly one of those people that said we damn well are going to uh, choose the best Riesling. And, you know, it's all in all likelihood going to come from Germany, even though Austrian Riesling can be exciting. <laughs> There's a wonderful Riesling made in a lot of other places. Uh, um, yeah, but all over the world. I also, yeah, exactly. But I also pushed for a category um, that I suppose is for some people sort of silly, but I thought it was, it was particularly important um, as we kind of, like everybody had to rethink the way we did things in, in, you know, during the pandemic. So, we have a category called comfort wines, best comfort uh, white wine, best comfort red wine, best comfort rosé. And, you know, that's pretty ill-defined, but I I think everybody knows what it means. You know, it's like, this is, you know, this is the wine I I just want to sit down and have a bottle with. And I don't give a damn, you know, if I have it with somebody else or if I'm drinking by myself, you know, there's a lot of really, you know, sexy, wonderful wine that, you would only have, you know, in, in a certain setting with a certain group of people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when I sit down and I have a bottle of, like, you know, Morgan from, from Beaujolais, I'm okay if I just drink a half a bottle by myself and, you know, save the rest for when my wife feels like having a glass. Uh-huh. I know. It's, uh, the comfort wine category, I read that in, uh, uh, in the release here. And I thought that was one of the better categories of all of them, to be honest with you, because so many people, well, it's a default wine. You always go back to the right. default wine, the one that you enjoy, and you know you're going to enjoy it. And no matter how many times people say, well, this is a great vintage, or this is a great wine, or you start saying, okay, should I try this? Should I try? And then you reach up and you grab your default wine, your comfort wine, and you know you're going to like it, and you know you're going to enjoy it, and you go to that. And uh, that's why I love that category, because there are some great comfort wines out there that are never get recognized as such. And so, uh, good. It's, it was, it's a good yeah, category. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, so, 
tell us about your winery. How long have you had it? What, oh, okay. What do you produce? What, uh, where is it located? What, uh, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, well, uh, I, uh, my uh, business partner and I started the winery in 2017. We started the project in 17, um, uh, bought some land in 2018 in Walla Walla Valley um, on oh. the Oregon side of Walla Walla Valley and oh. um, have since, yeah, have since bought some land on the Washington side of Walla Walla Valley. So we own, <laughs> um, you know, some, some uh, uh, vineyard property on either side of, um, of the valley and uh, are in the process of building a winery right now. But we've been making wine at a rented facility, uh, if you will, since 2018. So we just oh. concluded our fifth harvest. And wow. um, the, the, the kind of the bulk of what we make is uh, either a Bordeaux blend, you know, Cabernet-based Bordeaux blend, uh, oh. or uh, Syrah. And then we make some other things, some you know, fun stuff like uh, a fun Grenache, a Pet Nat, a Cabernet Franc. Uh, and, and as well, we make some single vineyard uh, Bordeaux-style blends. And, and then this year, oh. we've made rosé and we've made a white wine, too, because our own vines came of age this year. And we had some Sauvignon Blanc and some Simeon um, that we are uh, bottling up, oh, probably sometime in the late spring. Oh, sounds exciting. Uh, a Cabernet Franc. I just, I, it's really sad, in my opinion, that that is not made and bottled under its name more often. It just seems like people yeah. use it as a blending grape and don't give it yep. the credit that it deserves. I love a Cabernet Franc. I it just it's I could, could so not agree character. more. I Oh my god, yeah. No, and I have to say really it's it's one of the things that drove me to Walla Walla Valley is I really think Cab Franc there is special. And so it, you know, we don't produce a lot of uh, uh varietally bottled Cabernet Franc it does get blended into some of our other wines, but uh, we are definitely growing uh, the Cab Franc. I mean, at this point, we make four or 500 cases of Cab Franc, and um, it would, we'll continue to make more, let's put it that way, as, as, we get, as our vines get older, um, as we get our hands on, on some other uh, of our neighbors' uh, uh, grapes when, when they're willing to sell them to us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all in on Cab Franc. I, I have always been. It's it, that and Barbera is two of my favorite uh, grapes. And South America, I like the Carmenere, but uh, the, yeah. the Cab Franc is just one of those grapes that, if put in good hands, makes a wine that will outshine just about every other red wine out there. I mean, it just I I just really love the complexity of it, and. Uh, yeah, I do too. I, I'm very happy that I'm very happy with what we've been able to get so far. Yeah, well, that. Uh, how many uh, acres do you have of everything? You said you, you've got vineyards. Well, how, what, what do you have? We have about twenty five uh, about twenty five planted acres. Um, wow. But we own uh, yeah, but we own about four hundred acres uh, outright wow. now. Uh, like I say, only a small portion of that is planted. And we're going to go slow, um, but that's where we're building uh, our, our uh, land purchase that we made on the north side of Walla Walla Valley, um, the Washington side. That uh, that's where we're building our winery right now, and that is going full force despite the the winter weather. The uh, contractor doesn't <laughs> seem to care. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. Y'all got hit in the last couple of weeks there too. Oh my gosh! I just, yeah, yeah, uh, no, it's true, but. Uh, our contractor's like, yeah, bumping the road. We're going. 
<laughs> what is the name of the winery? The winery is called Echo Lands, so E-C-H-O-L-A-N-D-S. And, and part of that is just um, reflecting that uh, I live far away, both my business partner and I live far away in Kansas City, and so there's a bit of a, if you will, echo effect. Um, you know, we obviously have a crew, and, and uh, our winemaker, Taylor Oswald, lives uh, full-time in, in Walla Walla and has for over a decade making wine up there. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a, there's a dedicated group there, but I travel back and forth a lot. So the, the echo word kind of made sense to me. That and, and the land that we bought um, is, is not the sort of bottom land that a lot of people like to talk about in Walla Walla, a valley called the Rocks and, and places like that, which can produce really distinctive wines. But I was more interested in getting to elevated sites. And so there's, uh, you know, this commonality of, of um, you know, sort of a in our, with our north property, the sound of music uh, look, we've got a 360-degree view from our top hill that takes us up to oh, 1,800 wow. feet. And the other one has a, a – it sort of overlooks the very famous Seven Hills Vineyard, and there's mm-hmm. like a little canyon there above uh, Dry Creek. And, and so that has a little, you know, echo effect as well. And, and uh, uh-huh. so I, I, I thought the name was appropriate. Are you uh, in any AVAs uh, there or? Or yes, so we're officially Walla Walla Valley. Um, Are you? Okay. But our, I would, yeah, exactly. But I, I would uh, predict that sometime in the next couple of years, there's going to be a new AVA up there, something to do with the, the foothills of the Blue Mountains. And that's where we bought 340 acres of the 400 oh. that we own, because I'm, I'm all in on that as well. I really believe that's a special site. And um, I think, you know, it's just the usual we're just going to have to get all the cats herded into a, into a room to agree on what the hell we are going to call this. So right now, I uh, I just call it the foothills of the Blue Mountains. Uh, yeah. I, I don't care what we call it; just call it something. Yeah, <laughs> you know? just and give us give us an AVA. <laughs> that's it. Just give us a damn name. And that's right. Yeah, you can't call it anything. Just you know, let's get on with it. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What what type of soil are you getting in the hills there though? I mean, it can't be the same gravelly stuff that you get down at the bottom. So, no, not at all. It is very different. Um, the the soil type uh, you'll hear various names, but basically the you know sort of broad category is loess. Uh, it's an Austrian word that that really describes this windblown material um, that you'll find in places in Austria, but is very common to um, Walla Walla Valley. Uh, but you uh-huh. actually get that down in the Willamette as well. And it's all part of the, these materials that got hurtled up into the air during uh, what are called the Missoula floods, um, which date back to 15,000 years ago at the end of the Ice right. Age. Uh, this massive lake uh, that covered 25 square miles or more, and, and in some cases was uh, several miles deep, uh, broke as the glaciers began to melt and flooded uh, uh, the, the area. In fact, We know one of those floods was a 200-foot wall of water traveling 50 miles an hour from where Missoula, Montana is to to the Pacific Ocean. Right, yeah. So it tore things up really good and hurtled all this material into the air such that that material still settles today to some degree, but, you know, spent a couple of centuries really settling. So most of our loss is this incredibly uh, friable soil, you know, the, the roots can just jump right through it. And it takes you down to a layer of, of calcium carbonate. And um, uh-huh. so you get, you know, terrific drainage. 
Um, but but your you know your worry is going to be that um, in, in a drought year you could you could be in trouble. So yeah. um, in most most of those vineyards, you know, you're going to have to irrigate. Um, up in this area, this new area where we bought and are planting vineyards, which I refer to as the foothills of the Blue Mountains, um, mm-hmm. it's it's wet enough up there. You're you're actually benefiting from the proximity to the Blue Mountains, and so theoretically, you don't need to irrigate up there. But um, oh, again, if it's if it's dry around harvest season, you can stress your vines out a little bit. So it's not a bad idea to have uh, you know. Uh, 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 an irrigation line that you can tap into in that weird year when you need to. Yeah. 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 A lot of people like that stressing their vines right before harvest anyway to get all that uh, juice and sugars into the, the grapes. So, you know. I'm, yeah, I actually, I, I tend to disagree with them. I, and, I do too. Because, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the prevailing wisdom, of course. You know, people yeah. talk about it all the time. But actually, I uh, having spent a, a good deal of time in Oregon, um, years ago, people began to talk about something called stress vine syndrome, and right. um, it was really based upon, you know, post-verasion and when the grapes start to turn color, um, if the vine gets stressed out, it really starts to sort of feed on itself, and it doesn't, um, it, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not good for the vine, and you can actually taste that flavor in, in, the, uh, in the, the, the grapes that you, end, pardon me, the wine that you end up making from the grapes. Um, so, I remember that really, you know, uh, evolved my thinking a couple of over the last couple of decades, where I was like, you know, that's the one time you don't want to stress them out. There are other times when it's okay to stress them out, but not not beration and postpiration. Yeah, and yeah, I hear this quite often. You know, I like to stress the vines right, you know, leading up to harvest because in that way they start concentrating that sugar into the grapes, and so I get that high bricks when I'm harvesting and all. And I'm thinking, wow, that's didn't sound like a good thing, but yeah, I never did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to each was, to his own. Yeah, yeah I never did. I never like the thought of that, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, and we tend to we tend to pick before other people do as well because I don't like those high sugars. I I'm looking really? for something that is you know to my palate more balanced, uh, and I think part of it is just that the the wines I fell in love with early in my career were you know California wines of the '60s and '70s. Those weren't mm, high in me alcohol. Too. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, and, and European wines up until probably the, you know, their late 90s, early aughts, those, those weren't high in alcohol. That's not what people did. And, and, and so I'm trying to, you know, as much as we can. I mean, the highest alcohol wine we've made to date is 14.2%, and that was oh, even not... a bit of an outlier. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're just, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to stick to a style that we think is, is pretty. Well, some of some of the wines coming out now is just outrageously high in alcohol. I mean, you're, you're looking at you know, sixteen and a half, seventeen percent alcohol, and those wines, you know, are so hot that it's just like, you know, uh, if I want alcohol this high, I'll have myself a nice scotch. I'm, you know, I just yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you. It's not my style, and and I don't want to criticize somebody else for being in love with that style, but you know, I it it just wears me out. Yeah, I just I, I and they're doing it, and I I don't know why. I just it, you tend to lose different subtleties of the wine and different flavors with that alcohol so high, it just overpowers it. So, but yeah, that's just how we look at it. Are you going to go uh, organic or biodynamic, which seems to be the thing now in uh, vineyards? Uh, are you looking at doing that? 
We, um, we have been organic in our 25 acres uh, up, mm-hmm. up to now, um, but I'm not tied to that. And I'm, I'm um, one of those people that believes there's some, some good things about biodynamic viticulture, but there's also some things that, that really don't make a lot of sense. So um, I'm, you know, I guess a bit of a skeptic about it. I'm, I'm not skeptical of the idea at all. I think I, I love, if you will, the sort of mantra of the biodynamic uh, vineyard manager who says, you know, the most important input you can put in a vineyard is the winemaker's feet. And I, I, you know, winemakers' boots, and I really do agree with that. It's like, you know, that the idea that biodynamic teaches people to think about the vineyard as an ecosystem and not as a place where you grow grapes, I, I think yeah. is right on. But you know, and, and some of the some of the inputs I think are really great, but some of the stuff I think is is based on pseudoscience. You know, it's over a century, uh, uh, ideas over a century old um, that were. Uh, promulgated by a guy who um, was just as excited about eugenics <laughs> and what yeah. we would today oh, yeah. call, you know, racism um, as, as he was by uh, the notion of, of uh, you know, practicing viticulture based upon what the earth wants and, and not necessarily what the farmer is trying to get this year. So, so I'm tr- we're, you know, we're trying to blend it, and, and I'd have to be honest to say I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, still trying to decide – What's a good practice? What's what's nonsense? You know, what are we not doing that we should be doing? But but yeah, I, I agree with the overall notion that you are supposed to make sure that this is a living place and the grapes are just one of the things living there. You know, I, I, a thought just occurred to me, and since you're here, you, you get to be the one to discuss it with me. The thought just occurred to me, you hear about biodynamics and grapes a lot. Is it that popular in other crops? I mean, you, we don't have the farmers in the Midwest doing biodynamic wheat or biodynamic corn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Um, it, it is something that's, being, that's been discussed for many years, and, and it wasn't um, when Rudolf Steiner was talking about this, you know, 100 years ago. It wasn't right. just um, uh, grapes that he was talking about. He was really just talking about farming in general and farming practices in general. So uh, there are people who are uh, biodynamically farming other uh, uh, fruit crops and other, um, other you know, crops in general. I don't know if anybody is doing biodynamic grain crop. Um, I should probably know that, but I don't really know that offhand because, like you said, all we spend our time talking about is, is grapevine uh, biodynamics and, and, and those practices in the vineyard. So it's a, right. it's a, it's a curious it's a curious thing. Uh, it, it would be a lot easier to bury a cow horn in a vineyard than it would be in a cornfield. Uh, so, yeah, but I don't know. I just I, I hear about it. And it just occurred to me that we're always talking about grapevines and the biodynamic and and uh, oh, geez, I, I've got a blank. There's all the other new sustainable stuff and all that. And you hear a lot of this about grapevines. But yeah, regenerative. Even... Right. Yeah, yeah regenerative viticulture and, and all that. And, yeah. and I would say, in general, we are practicing what people refer to as regenerative uh, viticulture. But um, we're still, we're still um, evolving our practices and, and what's appropriate. And, uh, and, and it's, 
um, it's really, really important to me that we have what you know, people would refer to as a living biome underneath the vines, um, that we are generating and helping grow mycorrhizal fungi, fungi you know, underneath the, um, the vines, that we're you know, concerned about what's growing under the vines just as much about how the vines themselves are growing. And that really is pretty important. I mean, there's so much to come get in the ground and, and affect the grapevines. I, I, when I had the winery, I was well down here in Florida. We got uh, glassy wing sharpshooter, and oh sure, yeah. Oh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, I mean, you take care of it on the plant, and you've got all this cycle under the ground that you're not seeing, and it's just it's a constant yeah. battle, and. It, it's to be able to handle that. You, you can't tear up your your ground. You can't tear up what you're trying to grow in just to kill something right then. And it's a battle, an unbelievable battle that we're constantly fighting here in Florida. Yeah, it's. Huh. Um, I'll tell you, it's, it's a, a funny irony in, in that. Um, when when we first started, and, and the woman who was actually our vineyard manager um, for the Oregon property is a woman named Sadie Drury, and she's a great viticulturalist, and, and she's been a wonderful vineyard manager, but we were having this really kind of a long-term argument about tilling, no-tilling, and I had told her I wanted to go to no-till, and she said, look, I understand, but, you know, labor is an issue now. I, I can't guarantee you we're going to be able to do that. It's very uh, time-consuming. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so we were arguing about it. And, and then um, phylloxera was discovered in Washington State. Now, I will argue oh. that it's always been there. Um, but most of the vines, I mean, the vast majority of vines in Washington State are unrooted. And so phylloxera mm. will eventually destroy those vines. And, and that includes right. 20, you know, 23 of our 25 acres were unrooted as well. So you know the the uh, the irony here is that as soon as phylloxera was uh, was discovered that the best thing you can do is don't ever till so suddenly no till was like oh no that's standard practice you know I'm like well yay phylloxera is this you know, what I'm supposed to think now yeah, yeah. <laughs> phylloxera worked out you know? yeah it's like, oh well yeah. gave you credence to your argument. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's one of those, all right, whatever. I guess that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. What a horrible way to go into it, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Now, phylloxera was discovered two months after we planted and oh, uh, oh. planted two of their own roots. So it was um, – but, I, you know, I did not lose my mind over it because, like I say, I was convinced it was already there. We just think – or at least some of us think that phylloxera never really got much of a, a foothold, as I said, partially because of that dusty soil. It doesn't like sand. Um, right. It likes, you know, uh, more clay uh, kinds of soils, which we don't really have up here. And, and also, we used to get more intense winters. And so a lot of mm-hmm. people think that the, the fact that climate change is, is cutting back on the intensity of our winters is the other reason why phylloxera is now an issue, and it's actually killing um, some of the vineyards. So people are going through the process of replanting now, and uh, and at some point we'll have to as well. And we're now planting mm-hmm. on on rootstock, but um, you know <laughs> there's 23 acres out there that I'm going to be keeping my fingers crossed over the next 20 years or so. 
yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I... I sympathize with you because when you're sitting there looking at it, it's the same thing with uh, uh, Pierce disease and uh, the glass yes. sharp here. Yes. here. You know, it, it you keep your fingers crossed that it's not going to affect anything and you uh, we can't find any virus for Nifra uh, because it'll get into it immediately but they yeah. told us that we can't plant Norton and uh, a good friend <laughs> of mine has a vineyard uh, well, 20, mi- uh, 20 miles uh, from where I had one. He put in 10 acres in Norton, and everybody told him, you can't plant that. It's going to kill it and all that. And he planted it, and it started to grow. Had it tested. It tested positive for uh, Kirsch disease, but it didn't do anything to the plant. Mm-hmm. The plant thrived didn't and kill grew it. and didn't kill it. And That's awesome. You know, and, and so... When you start looking at the possibilities of something, maybe Norton has something in it, in the planet itself, that can fight it off. I mean, and it could happen to some of the plants that you have, too. I mean, it, it's you, you never know. You never know what's going to happen out there. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, it's uh, a... <laughs> It's farming. <laughs> it farming. is. Yeah, there you go. That's it's just a the matter of line. managing managing the disasters. That's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. um, so is there a website for your winery yet? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's just echolandswinery.com. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, and uh, the... Uh, uh, Something else. Oh, uh, languages. Do you speak any anything besides English? Um, I, uh, I barely uh, can manage my way through uh, French, German, and Spanish uh, in, in, under the right circumstances. So, so no, I make no <laughs> such uh, claims. But you know, when I do travel, I, I uh, manage to you know get fed and get from place to place, and that's that's probably about it. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, find a bed, where is the you know, where is the bathroom? Where is the hotel? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I still remember. Yeah, it's actually my. Yes, of course. No, go right ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I still remember my very first trip to uh, uh, to, to France when I was probably 21, and walking up to uh, a, a manager and, and saying, "Oula, toilette, s'il vous plaît," and he said, "Yeah, it's around the corner to your left." <laughs> like, you know, I was I was probably five feet before I went. Yeah, asshole. God, what? Really? <laughs> so obvious. <laughs> oh, that's a funny story. <laughs> oh, I like that. The bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> you couldn't cut it's me some slack, could you? Yeah, he could have. He very. He probably loved to do it that time. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he was like, uh, this guy's American, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell right away. You know, he just, you know, yeah. well, look, he's from Kansas. What can we say? You know. <laughs> what can we say? That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> what can we say? Uh, you're, uh, uh, the, the Pinnacle Awards, I want to hit on that again. Uh, those are always held in the same place over in Singapore, or those rotate? Yes. 
Yes, no, we, uh, we go to Singapore um, these days, once a year. I mean, uh, the pandemic obviously goofed all that up, but uh, right. that's the way we roll, uh, you know, when, when the pandemic is not uh, destroying everybody's lives. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, indeed, we'll be, uh, we'll be back there in 23 and, and just got back uh, oh, about a month ago from, uh, from uh, having the, the uh, pinnacle, Wine Pinnacle Awards in Singapore. And Singapore is a hell of a place to eat, so I'm, I'm happy to get there. Oh, I can imagine. Never had the opportunity, yeah. but boy, it was, it sounds, and this resort where you're holding it, it's just, it's, you know, like a little slice of heaven on earth there. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's great fun, and, and yeah, I just cannot sing the praises of eating in Singapore enough. There's so many different kinds of cuisine there, so it's, it's really, really great. These, um, well, your, your awards, the, uh, uh, the Pinnacle Awards, do you pair the wines with meals or anything, or is it they just taken on their own? The um, Well, you know, the um, we do events in which we do pair wines with meals, and some of the wineries that are awarded are certainly part of, um, you know, those meals or those uh, tastings. So um, we, we do, we had a we had a meal with uh, a vertical of Chateau Margaux and oh, had a, a, a meal with, uh, yeah, exactly. Had a meal with Bond Estate Wines from Napa and had oh. um, uh, did a, a vertical of Hinchkey Hill of Grace. And, and uh, that was great fun. I've, I've been a fan of those wines for 30 or 40 years. And yeah. Paul and, and uh, the Hinchkeys uh, themselves for, for all that time. And so that was fantastic to see them again and to, taste those wines so yeah it's uh they're you know they're uh, vertical tasting their dinners and such that that all take place around it but uh, some of it so much of it like i say is really just the uh the process the kind of intellectual experiment uh, or exercise of deciding okay over the last 12 months what rocked my world mm-hmm. are the same judges uh, invited back every year i mean uh, do you know that you're going to be back there so you start looking for wines that might be uh, a, a nominee uh, or uh, yeah have yeah to... i think that's a that's a good call yeah i think that's a really good call um in general we have the same judges there are mm-hmm. there are, you know some people that come in and and certainly you know maybe a few people that fall away but in general we are trying to to add to our judging ranks uh, rather than subtract from them, um, because you know everybody's been handpicked, and uh, they're all people that you know we we feel like have a great deal of experience, and and uh, so yeah, like like me, they they are they know they're empowered to spend the next twelve months thinking, all right, maybe this wine, maybe maybe I should try this wine. <laughs> That's yeah, that kind of trying to stay on top of it. Yeah, that, I was wondering about that because. I'm, I I would. I mean, I think everyone would if they know they're going to be back. Every time you taste wine, you go, hmm, boy, that's pretty good. I might have to consider that for a nominee. You know, and it would uh, be a, a good way to start approaching a lot of the wines that I would be drinking if if I knew I was going to be in that position. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, do you have any questions, comments, anything for Doug here? I do not. I'm I'm uh, checking social media right now. Um, uh, nothing there. I, I uh, not at this time. I'm, I was 
I did not catch at the beginning when you started talking about the Wine Pinnacle Awards. How long has it been going on? When when did you start it? Or uh, I probably missed that. Yeah, it, it uh, started um, back in 2018, and uh, okay. you know we we were ready to rock and roll until the pandemic uh, came along. So um, <laughs> really, in in terms of the um, you know the big event and everything that we just did, this was only the second time that we had done that because we basically wow. laid off. Um, you know, 2020, we, we did it in 2019, and then 2020 came along, and 21, you know, wow. we weren't really past it yet. But uh, 22, uh, we managed to all get together again, and, and that was a wonderful thing. Hmm. Oh, wow, I didn't realize it was only the, the second one. If is Are these published anywhere or anything? I mean, uh, you know, Annie got a hold of me telling me about the Pinnacle Awards. Otherwise, I would have never heard of them myself. Uh, where do you find information on this? I mean, well, a lot of questions on this. Number one, where do you find information? Number two, if people want to follow it, uh, is there a website for it? And number three, how about wineries? If they uh, think that they have something that is uh, qualifies for a try to be an award winner, can they submit anything themselves or submit something to one of the judges? I mean, all that stuff is just popping in my head here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't really created a process whereby somebody can say, look at me, look at me, um, other than, you know, I think that we, we publish and uh, make known the names of the judges. Um, so, you know, people can certainly, and I think somebody who's making a wine you know, at that level is going to know at least somebody on that list and, and can do the old, hey, what am I, chopped liver? Um, you know, <laughs> a conversation with somebody. Um, the, um, the, uh, the website itself is just www.winepinnacle.com. And so, you know, people can find out more about it. It has all the results on there, you know, explains who the jury is and, and all that stuff, and then tells people a little bit about what, you know, the master classes are that we – we run and the events that, that um, happen during the program. Is there any monetary award for the winners or just the prestige of being a winner? Just the prestige, yeah. They get they get a trophy. <laughs> they get to take well, a trophy. That's something. I mean, you know, not everyone gets trophies. You don't that's have true. participation <laughs> trophies. So <laughs> That that is true. We do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I can't think of anything else. The Pinnacle Awards were were fascinating when I first read about. Are they always going to be held in November? Um, no, we are actually talking about moving the date, um, oh. and so there's still some. I'm not absolutely certain what the what the date, uh, the next date is going to be, um, but uh, as long as they stay away from harvest, I told them, you know, I'm fine. With no, them. just yeah. don't do it during harvest. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. Are the other judges uh, are they sit at home on the couch and drink all the good wine type judges, uh, unlike you who has a vineyard and all that, or or are they owners of vineyards and uh, or even restaurants or something? It's, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, there's, like I say, master sommeliers, masters of wine, some of whom uh, are, you know, active um, and, and some of whom are just writers or educators or things like that. There are uh, people who've won the, you know, best sommelier of the, of, uh, you know, 
uh, um, of the year or, you know, uh, win top sommelier in the world and things like that. So it's wow. all sorts of different people. And we try to kind of, like I said, create a, a, some diversity in, in the roles of the people that are, um, are actually voting. So we, so we feel like we get a, a you know, differing viewpoints on it all. Uh, it sounds like quite a diversified group of people there and highly qualified to say the least. That's what you're looking for. Uh, so, uh, okay. Um, nothing else, Mike? Well, I was just wondering, uh, we're, you know, talking about your, uh, your master sommelier and, and, uh, master of wine titles, a very limited, uh, you know, one out of four, do you keep in touch with the other, uh, three or yeah, three. <laughs> okay. Yes. Actually, well, Yes, in, in yeah. general, yes. Um, now, mm-hmm. you know, sadly, um, one of the guys, the guy who uh, uh, passed after, uh, well, the, the, the first guy to pass was a guy named Ron Wiegand. I haven't talked to Ron in some time. He lives in Hungary now. Um, oh. And so, oh, wow. he, you know, he's, he's kind of off the, off the grid a little bit. Um, I was the second person. And then the third person uh, to pass both was a wonderful gentleman named Gerard Basset, um, who I often will just refer to as he was the best of us. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. So there are really only three of us. Then the, then the fourth um, to pass is a guy named Eric Hemer, and Eric lives in Miami and is oh, wow. a, just a wonderful guy. And, yeah, Eric and I probably talk to each other every other month or so. So um, he's, he's, a, he's an awesome guy. Wow, that's interesting. A uh, very exclusive <laughs> club, to say the least. Yes. I'm afraid so. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. Uh, the, uh, all of them are active in, uh, in the trade or. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Eric is in charge of, uh, education for Southern Glazers. Group oh. And, um, yeah. And, and, uh, as I say, um, Ron is uh, doing something in, in Hungary. I'm not really sure what he's got going on right now, to be honest with you. Um, Gerard was the owner of the Hotel de Vin in, um, in London uh, before he oh. passed away. His, his, uh, his widow and his son continue to run that so, uh, and continue to be very uh, involved in the wine business and you know, the Smollier competitions and things like that. Oh, that's interesting. Wow, that's cool. Good question, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, so, before we go, give us your web address and contact information for your winery, and so anyone can look it up who is uh, so inclined. Are you not actually open yet? Are you? you? When are you expecting to be built and taking tasters? Well, we actually have a tasting room that's open in Walla Walla oh, downtown. So yeah, so so that's that's go, uh, you know ongoing, um, and uh, so that's uh, available. People can just go to the website, um, which is www.echolandswinery.com, and they will um, they will you know find a, a, a link there to to make a reservation at the tasting room and can learn more about us there and, and order wine if they want to and. Pretty soon, I'll be start posting pictures of the uh, winery as the walls are coming up. Oh, great! Let's we'll start looking forward to that. Um, are you? What's your shipping policy? 
uh, different states? Uh, well, there are a number of states, yeah, there are a number of states that we can ship to, um, Florida being amongst those. But, yeah, yeah. There, you know, the, the world of, of wine shipping is still uh, a little Crazy. bit in the dark ages. So there's certainly, yeah. Yeah, there's certainly some <laughs> states that those, you know, those states, they just would not dare want to let somebody, um, you know, ship wine, some evil wine, because I'm sure there's some 16-year-old right now who's That's sitting uh, there know, waiting for dying to, to wait. Yeah. yeah, two weeks. He's dying to wait, you know, three days yeah. or whatever for, you know, expedited <laughs> shipment. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Doug you and know, I are on the same page now. It just drives me crazy as if as if some kid who wants to drink is going to order online and wait for a shipment to come in when they can go down and stand in front of the seven eleven and slip somebody, you know, twenty dollars and say, Pick me up a six pack and you know, I mean it's yeah, just exactly. It, well, it's, it's just protecting certain people's uh sales and, and you know, okay, I get that. That's the way that's the way these things work. That's the way it works. You know, regardless of how insane it is, that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah, hard to justify, <laughs> but that's how it works. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, anyone get in touch, and uh, if you are in Walla Walla, Washington, you're going to be on the Washington side, right? Okay, so if you're in Walla Walla, yes. Washington, yes, exactly. uh, then uh, what, this summer it's going to be built? Um, yes, we'll have. Uh, it'll be done certainly by next uh, by uh, fall of 2023. But the oh. tasting room is open uh, five days a week. All right, there you go. Um, Sunday, Monday close, or Monday, Tuesday, or uh, actually Tuesday, Wednesdays, or oh, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, there. That's an <laughs> I guess wrong. Um, so if you're out there, check it out, and uh, if Doug's uh, hanging out. Around there, I'm sure he would be more than happy if you introduced yourself and said that you heard him on all about wine. And uh, uh, yep. if we ever get an opportunity, I will definitely stop by and visit the place. And uh, I appreciate you taking your time to join us tonight. I am uh, really impressed. We'll start looking forward to the next Pinnacle Awards. And uh, well, what's the website again on the Pinnacle Awards? So it's winepinnacle.com. Winepinnacle.com. So if anyone wants to check that out. Thank you, Doug, for taking the time. We appreciate it. And we uh, wish you the best of everything. And maybe next year when the Wine Pinnacles come out again, uh, we can get you on. And uh, you can tell us about what wines were nominated and won from this year, or what, 23, I guess. So. Absolutely. That sounds great. I'll, I'll look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Very good. Thank, Thank you for taking your time to join us this evening. <laughs> Thank you. Talk to you all later. Have a good evening. Uh-huh. Thank Bye. you. You too. Bye. Now. Bye. Okay. There we go. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the uh, map on their website. Uh, uh, 7 West Adler in Walla Walla, Washington. So uh, near South 2nd Avenue and Poplar, East Poplar Street. So in that in that's, that's area. That's the rotation room? Yeah. Uh, oh. It's what it shows, uh, Echo Lands Winery. Yeah. Um, so let's see. There's hours. There's uh, quite a few. 
Yeah, Thursday through Monday, they open at 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. So, <laughs> Close Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That just seems odd to me. <laughs> yeah. Tuesdays well. and Wednesdays. And, you know, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, oh, nice so, website, though. I mean, it yeah. really is. It's a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's got uh, very, very very, a lot of inf- information there. Oh, wines. Let's click on that and see what he does having wines. He's got a rub rum which is a Bordeaux-style red blend. Uh, it's the grape used in it is 55% Cabernet, 37% Merlot, 6% Cabernet Franc, and 2% Petit Bordeaux, 13.9 alcohol, uh, Seven Hills Vineyard, and that has 40% Merlot, 40% Cabs, 18% Cabernet Franc, and 2% Petit Bordeaux, and that's 14.1% alcohol. And then his Syrah is 98% Syrah, 2% Voynier, and it is 12.8% alcohol. So some nice wines there. Oh, wait a minute. Here's his Cabernet Franc that he's doing as a varietal. Let's see. Is that 100%? No, 97% Cabernet Franc. 3% Merlot, and then Pepper Bridge Vineyard uh, Cabernet, 97% Cabernet, 3% Merlot, and then a Grenache Rosé, which contains 100% Grenache grapes. So, some nice wines that he's putting out there. Uh, good areas to grow too. So check out if you're out in that area or something. Check on out. There are some wonderful all around that area. You don't have to just spend your day talking to Doug. You can go around and visit lots of other wineries. Oh, oh yeah. big area. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I don't know if you have anything else to add. It's eight oh two. Oh no! Wow. Have, yeah, we have a show next week on the 22nd and um yeah thursday 22nd of december so yeah, I think feel free to join us then. nothing <laughs> important um, coming up between now and then so so yep just be safe out there it's supposed to be some nasty yeah. weather uh ice and snow there's a name of the storm i heard the name of the storm that hit the northeast once I can't remember what it is, but they're naming the storms now. So, but uh, be safe on the roads and everything. Uh, yeah, they canceled a whole bunch of flights out of San Francisco. There was a whole bunch of bad weather coming through there too, and different areas. So, yeah. so all right, be safe. We'll see you all be uh, safe. next Thursday. Thanks for coming yeah. in. And um, if if you'd like to be a guest, please visit the website All About Wine. 101 at gmail uh, gmail does what am i thinking yeah email ron if you want to that, that part. <laughs> all about wine 101 at gmail.com or visit the website what is it or all if about you're wine a yes or if you're a publicist and you have clients that are in the yeah. wine business or like doug you know and stuff get yep. in touch with me we'd love to have them on too so yep yep let us know we'd like to have you on thank you 
and have a great week and a safe week. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinedtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com at comment slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine. And we're off. Uh, we're off. off there. Oh, wait a minute. I need to go. I need to go to the green room. <laughs>